following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, this morning, we're going to be... Looking at Psalm 87. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 87. Let's go ahead. All right. When you have it, uh, give me an amen. There we go. It's enough amens to get started. <laughs> All right, let's read together God's Word. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. This is God's holy word. Praise be to God. This morning we open our passage in Psalm 87. In this psalm we see the psalmist Speaking of the glories of Zion, we see the psalmist recount some of the ways Zion is glorious. When you live in a city for a very long time, there are unique characteristics of that city that makes the city either a wonderful or a terrible place to live in. It has a lot to do with who governs there, superintendents of schools, governors, mayors, it also has a lot to do with the people who live there and what that city is about. In a similar fashion, the psalmist here shares with us the glories of the city of Zion by recounting to us a few reasons why this city is so great. I think it is important for us as New Testament Christians to first understand what was Zion and what is Zion today. This helps us better grasp and experience this psalm for all that it's worth. First question we want to ask is, first, what is Zion? We see here that it says the Lord loves the gates of Zion in verse 2. And we see in verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her. Um, have you seen the matrix? That's, they mentioned Zion there. This isn't the same Zion. <laughs> it's important for us to know Biblically, what is the uh, Zion that the psalmist is referring to? Historically, Zion is the place that was also referred to as the city of David, which was located in Jerusalem. We know that when David becomes king, he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, and then later it is brought into the temple by his son Solomon. This represented for the people of God the reality that God ruled from among their midst. This was also a beacon of hope to all of God's people, sort of like a lighthouse to all of Israel 
and wherever Israel may be at throughout the world. It communicated to them security and hope. Unfortunately, although Zion was the city of God, his people did not reflect that, and because of their sin, that precious and wonderful city of Zion becomes a city God will inevitably judge. The prophets began to prophesy that this city of Zion pointed forward to a future Zion and a heavenly one. The city is loved by the Lord. Oh, sorry guys, hold on. <laughs> I'll make sure my papers are in order here. <laughs> All right. The city is loved by the Lord. So John Piper speaks of this city uh, and the whole giving an overview of the scriptures that the prophets begin to foretell of a heavenly Zion and a future Zion, the future state of what the Zion on earth will look like and the reality of the heavenly Zion where God reigns and dwells perfectly. This city is loved by the Lord. So in verse 1, we see how this city was founded by the Lord. So let's go to verse 1. And it says, On this holy mount stands the city he founded. In verse 1, we see who is the founder of the city of Zion. It says that he, referring to the Lord, is the founder. It is worth noting that the Lord is the founder of this precious city. He is the founder of this city in such a way that it is not true for other nations. This is the city that was promised to Abraham long ago. This is the promise he made to Abraham that he would make from him a great nation out of his descendants and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God keeping that promise through the preservation of Abraham's descendants and the preservation of Israel. We see Jesus coming from this city and establishing his church in such a way that all who believe in him are true descendants of Abraham. He is the one who created this precious city. This is a unique privilege that is given to Israel and has extended now out to us in the New Testament. Again, the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of a future Zion. A Zion, a Zion I'm going to say Zion TC here in a bit, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're all a little asleep. A Zion from which the Lord will reign over all the earth. In Micah chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion, from now on, even forever. In the New Testament, the Apostle John sees what it would look like in this forever state, as he praises the heavenly city as an adorned wife for her husband. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, the apostle describes the holy city of God as holy. And he says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This holy city of Zion coming down is the bride of Christ, the church. Notice how John describes this city. He describes this city as holy. The psalmist similarly describes where he, this city is founded, and he says it is founded on the holy mountain. In verse 1, we see, For the Lord, it says, 
On the holy mount stands the city he founded. This city is consecrated to the Lord. So in verse 1, we see the Lord is the founder of Zion. And in verse 1, we also see how this city is consecrated by the Lord. Notice again where he founded his holy city. He founded it on his holy mountain. So another way that he glorifies the city is by consecrating it. To consecrate something means to make something sacred, or in this case, set apart, holy. He sets Zion apart. We know that Zion in the Old Testament was set apart from all the nations. God gives them laws, commandments, uh, in such a way that makes them stand out from all the other nations. They don't worship like the pagan nations. They don't dress like the pagan nations. They don't eat like the pagan nations. They are to be set apart. And so it is such for the New, New Testament Zion that we too are to be set apart by the Lord as holy. He consecrates this city by dwelling in the midst of her. We are made holy because God dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. And indwelling us by His Holy Spirit, His people become holy. Just as the holies of holies in the Old Testament was made holy because of the presence of the Spirit of God was there, the Holy Spirit now does not dwell in temples made by hands, but now dwells in us. And indwelling in us, we have become holy. So often we see ourselves as sinners, and it is true that we are sinners saved by grace, but it is important for us to have a holistic biblical view of ourselves because the Bible does not only describe us as sinners, but also as holy. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are called a holy nation. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To be holy for us means that we must be set apart. We must not operate like the rest of the world, but instead be set apart by being a nation who walks in humble obedience to our God. A nation who is set apart to do God's will here on earth, However, we are not to be holy in order to earn God's love. We are set apart by God because we have already been loved by God. In verse 2, we see that we have been loved by God in His holy city. It says, verse 2, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the places of Jacob. In verse 2, we see God's love declared specifically and directly to His precious Zion. It isn't a general love. It is a very specific kind of love. We must keep in mind as we proceed to navigate through the psalm that the covenant name of God is used here in verse 2. <clears throat> Anytime that you see the word Lord, and the, the word Lord is spelled in capital letters, it means that the covenant name of God has been invoked. The word covenant is in agreement or a promise you make with someone else, where you make a promise and keep that promise whether or not the other person keeps it or not. This is a bit different from a contract because a contract has conditional terms and conditions. Contracts are conditional. In a contract I am saying, I will give you this if you give me that. If you no longer give me that said thing, then I will no longer give you fill in the blank. 
It is very transactional. The kind of relationship you would have with a merchant or school or a grocery store or your contractor, etc. To better expand on what covenant means in our day and age, I would use marriage as an example, but unfortunately we live in a time where divorce rates are so high and so our culture slowly is losing the meaning and significance of what a covenant means. So the easiest example I can give is the relationship that a parent would have with a child. We as parents make promises to our children that no matter how good, no matter how bad they are, we will be their parents and they will be our children. We will care for them. We will wake up in the middle of the night to change diapers. We will do all these things whether or not they grow up and appreciate all that we've done for them or not. This covenant keeping God has entered into a covenant with us through the blood of Christ. He will be our God and we will be his people. This is a unique covenant that he has made with his people that he has not made with the entire world. But Christian, he has made that covenant with you. And he makes it with anyone who enters those lovely gates of Zion. He promises to love you in your best moments and worst moments, to be your God no matter what you may face in this life. Second point we see is the city's people in verses four through six. It says, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people. This one was born in her. We have seen some of the ways that this city is glorious, and we've seen how the glory of this city is not innate in and of itself of the city, but it is a glory given to the city by God. It is, a glory, uh, it is glorious because the Lord founded her, the Lord consecrated her, and the Lord has loved her and loves her now. Now, in verse 4 through 6, the psalmist wants us to think about the city's people, where they originally were from, who established them there, and their recorded citizenship. The Lord has diversified the people of the city. In verse 4, we don't only see Jews in this city, but we see members of other nations. He populates his nation with people from other nations, not just any nation, but by nations who were once enemies of God and his people. He gathers them from Babylon and Philistia, Two very notable names in the Old Testament. They were some of the major antagonists in the story of God's people. They were enemies of God and enemies of his people. But on that day, the psalmist says, they will be a part of God's people. This points to a greater reality we find in the New Testament that the enemies of God can now become children of God and Christ. We see the doctrine of regeneration found in the Old Testament. Someone born in another nation, in another place, is born again into, sorry Chris, smack on mic. Born again into the new city. Let's 
This points to a greater reality that we find in the New Testament, that the enemies of God can now become children of God in Christ. We see that God has a missional heart. Therefore, his people should too. We, as the city of God, should have a heart to see the people of all nations come to the Lord. This is one of the reasons as a church we think our, our missionary outreach is important. We think down what we do in downtown Fredericksburg on First Fridays is important. What we do in Iceland and Uganda and other places is important. What the church does as a whole is important when we are missional in our outreach. This is why you should give money to missionary work and and give your time to doing missional outreach because we serve a God who is a missional God. God not only reveals his missional heart, but also he shows his merciful heart by reaching out to those who are his enemies. This is why your atheist co-worker shouldn't annoy you, but instead should compel you to pray for the Lord to save them. This is why your Muslim neighbor shouldn't weird you out, but instead you should be motivated for them to come to Christ. We worship a missional God who brings people of all nations and backgrounds and lifestyles, no matter how antagonistic they are to him or his church, and makes them citizens of his city. We see that to be true in our church right now. All of us come from all kinds of different backgrounds, born in all kinds of different cities. Some of us grew up in a church, others antagonists to the church and God, yet we're all here, all here, born again of this one, of you, me, are born in the city of Zion. It says, all, from all nations and backgrounds will come and worship our merciful God and be citizens of his holy city. In verse 5, we see that the Lord has established his city. It says, for the Most High himself will establish her. God has united all these people from different nations and has made us one people, one city. But see, cities are threatened all the time. And our glorious city is not unique. How do we not know that the city won't fall apart? How do we not know it will endure all of the attacks of this world and of Satan? How do we know that with all the attacks on the Bible and the church and the gospel, that the church will not endure and it won't fall apart? Because the nation, the city of Zion, is not established by human hands. It is established by our God. Jesus promises us that the gates of hell will not prevail over his church. The same thing applies to the city of Zion. It will not be destroyed. In verse 6, we see that the Lord records as he registers the people. This one was born there. This raises an important question. How do I know I have arrived in this established city? This city may be established by God and firm and solid, able to endure all things. But there are times that you and I don't feel like we are citizens of this nation. We believe in the promises made to us by God and Christ, and so we walk in faith for a season. But there are times where our faith wavers and we do not feel like citizens of this city. Christian, you can take heart 
the Lord is the one who registers the people. In verse 6, it says, the Lord records as he registered the people. This one was born there. The Lord has recorded all of the citizens of Zion. Their name is not a name that is written in mere ink. It is written with the blood of Christ. We can have assurance that on that final day, the Lord will let us in his Zion, not because of anything we have done, but because he is the one who saved us and recorded our names in the book of life. As a matter of fact, through the eyes of faith, you're already there at this city. In Hebrews 12, it says, instead, you have come already, come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews describes the Christian as already arriving to his city. If you have placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you are already a citizen of this Zion. Even Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, it describes where the Christian is currently located now. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. God has already raised us up in Christ in the heavenly places, which is his city. Lastly, on my third point, we notice the city's praise in verse 7. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. The city testifies of God's life-giving grace, verse 7. What is the response of God's people? The response in this psalm is praise. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. The psalmist testifies of the springs which are in Zion. This physical thirst is quenched by the springs of the Zion of old. But psalm, the psalmist also points to a future reality not yet realized, but one day will be. To the day where all of God's people no longer thirst because their thirst will be quenched in the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 22, verse 1 and 3, it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which is its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship Him. We live in a fallen world and fallen bodies that hinder us from consistently experiencing the soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching river of God. But on that day, the future Zion, on that day we will experience healing and full satisfaction from the river that flows from God. All our springs will be in Christ for us to enjoy forever without sin's interruption. This is a true promise in this life and even a greater hope in the future day of Christ when all things are new again.
few applications I want to draw from the passage and from the sermon this morning is that as the city of God, we must live our lives in such a way that exists to glorify Him. We must not live in such a way to bring glory back to ourselves, but everything we do must point back to the glorious God who made this city. This means pride must not exist among us. Let us live in humility with one another and our neighbor. Number two, since God has loved his nation greatly, we must be characterized by our love. How do we love a difficult co-worker or student? How can we love a difficult boss or family member? Jesus said that the world will know who you are from him by the way you love one another. What are some ways that you could show love to your neighbors this week and love to each other as a church? Maybe it means reaching out to somebody, checking in on them, seeing how they're doing. Maybe it means um, praying for someone, giving a word of encouragement. Maybe it means noticing that with all the storm that happened, you can help a neighbor take a tree out of their lawn or backyard. Maybe it means taking care of someone's child so that they can go out on a date. Whatever it means, seek ways to love your neighbors and love each other this week. Number three, we worship a missional God. Therefore, if this is in his agenda to reach all different kinds of people, then it should be in ours too. Not just reaching out to those who we're comfortable with, those who look familiar to us, but to reach out to all different kinds of people. The homeless man at the gas station, um, the dude at the, at the 7-Eleven loitering, <laughs> whoever it is, reach out to them, right? We must be a, a church who is missional at heart to want to reach our neighbors, not just locally, but across the globe. We must be a church who disciples, who prays for people to see them come to faith and doesn't stop praying for them until they see that reality in their lives. We must witness, be a church equipped to share the gospel. Share the gospel with your neighbor. Share the gospel with your family member. If you need help learning, uh, if you don't feel comfortable preaching the gospel because you, you feel like you don't know how to do that, reach out to me, reach out to Bobby, reach out to Jake, reach out to a, a, a brother here in church who's evangelistic, who has the gift of evangelism. But there is no excuse for us as a church to not be a missional church, to not be an evangelistic people. Number four, our assurance of being a part of God's people should not come from our performance. In the very unlikely scenario that you get to heaven's gates and someone asks you, why should they let you in? Your answer should be that Christ died for my sins and my name is registered in the book of life. This is our only standing before God. And lastly, finally, let's not set our ultimate hopes or joys on what the economy will bring or what raise we will get or who will we marry or how good our kids will turn out, but to set our hope, our ultimate hope and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him satisfy you here in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for saving us and granting us citizenship into Zion. Lord, we were once not a people, but now you've made us your people. Lord, what is man that you're mindful of him? Lord, Israel didn't deserve the covenant you made with them. We don't deserve the covenant you made with us. You not only save us, but make us holy and give us the privilege to be ambassadors of you out into this world to glorify you. Lord, this is an amazing truth. And as we read Psalm 87, let us be reminded of this glorious truth. Glorious truth that God has established his church as his own people to display his glory among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please we visit us at foundationfxbg.com.